If you're new with us, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Ephesians. This morning, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, uh, verses 15 through 21, if you want to be turning there in your Bibles. We come today to a passage of Scripture that deals with a couple of kind of churchy terms. These are, these are things that Christians say all the time. And I think there's some confusion when we use these terms. I don't think the world understands what we mean. And frankly, I think that a lot of us, even as believers, aren't entirely sure what we mean about these terms. The first is that we have a walk, right? We, we walk in Christ or we have a Christian walk. We say that. What is a walk? My kids will tell you that a walk is something that you throw at a wascally wabbit. But it's more than that, and we'll talk about that uh, in a minute. We also say that we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? So let's read our text together. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, this morning, I pray that, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit would want to reveal to us this morning. And Lord, I pray for the one who preaches, for his sins are many. In Jesus' name, amen. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Look carefully. Be careful. Careful. When, when I think about being careful, it makes me think of my wallet. I, I always know where my wallet is. I check all the time to make sure it's still in my pocket. And, and there's a reason why I do that. When I was 10 years old, growing up in Alaska, 10 years old, my parents gave me some money to spend uh, on buying my family Christmas presents. And I remember I had a brand new wallet. And, and I took these five $20 bills and I put them in my wallet. And my parents, they dropped me off at the mall to do shopping. Back then, you could drop a 10-year-old off at the mall. Nowadays, they don't let you do that. But uh, I felt so grown up. I felt so responsible. But there's a lot going on at the mall at Christmas time. There, there was uh, Christmas carols. There was the smell of gingerbread and peppermint everywhere. And... Uh, there were all the decorations. And of course, everyone at the mall at Christmas time is always of such good cheer, right? But I got distracted by all of that. I bought a couple of gifts. I remember I went up to buy a third one and I went to reach for my wallet and it was gone. I had carelessly left it somewhere on a counter or a bench or something. And I went back and I retraced my steps, but it, it was just gone. And I wasn't able to accomplish my mission of buying Christmas gifts. So the next year, 
Now I'm 11, so I'm really mature. And my parents again gave me Christmas money, and I had a new wallet, because uh, I lost the one last year. And, and this year I was determined to be careful. My mom said, be careful with your wallet. And so I, I, I kept checking it. I checked the wallet. I'd pull it out. I'd make sure all the money was in it. I did that over and over and over. In fact, I, I think I did it too much because before I even bought one gift, I went to check my wallet, and it was gone. Somebody had picked my pocket. So, so the third year, now I'm 12, almost a teenager, so very mature. And my parents, they gave me money again uh, because they don't learn lessons either. And I, I went to the mall, and this year my wallet was in my front pocket. I didn't take it out. I didn't flash it around. I bought three bags full of gifts for all of my family. And I was, I was waiting for my parents to come pick me up, so I stopped by a restaurant in the mall, and I had something to eat, and I was feeling good, and I went out to greet my parents, and they were like, where's all the presents? And I was like, oh, no, I left them in the restaurant. And I ran back to the other end of the mall, and they were gone. Somebody had taken them. Three years in a row, I had been distracted by everything going on around me, and I, and I was not accomplishing the mission. And so when Paul says, look carefully at how you walk, I think, I think that this is kind of what he's talking about, that, that it's important for us to have a good Christian walk because we have this mission, but it's so easy for us to get distracted by everything that's going on around us. Uh, to help us kind of understand how to look carefully, Paul uses a neat little literary device. He uses not but statements. And he does this three times in this passage of Scripture. And whenever we kind of see repetition in Scripture, we want to pay attention because something is being emphasized. And, and what Paul is doing here is he's, he's showing us uh, foolishness contrasted with wisdom. And he does it three times. Even when he's saying, don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit, the words he uses that say, don't be drunk with wine, those words come directly from the Greek translation of Proverbs 23.31. And in case you don't know, Proverbs is one of the wisdom books. It's part of the wisdom literature of the Bible. It was written mostly by King Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, having been given wisdom by God. The three statements are, uh, we're not, we are to walk not as unwise, but as wise. We are not to be foolish, but to understand what is the will of God. And we are not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So wisdom versus foolishness. Well, what is wisdom? That's probably a good question to ask right here. Uh, what did the Apostle Paul mean when he started talking about wisdom here? Well, fortunately for us, he's already talked about wisdom a bit in Ephesians. And we can just kind of go back and see what is he talking about. So, so in Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, he says that in him we have redemption through his blood. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. 
And in Ephesians 1, 7, Paul is praying. And he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And then also in Ephesians 3, 9, and 10, he says to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. So we see that when Paul is talking about wisdom, he's talking about having knowledge of God and understanding that God has a plan for the redemption of mankind, and it's a mysterious plan. But we don't have to take Paul's word for it. What did that wise guy Solomon say, right? If we, if we look back at uh, Proverbs 9.10, he's talking about wisdom. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So Solomon is saying the exact same thing that Paul is saying. He's saying that it's knowledge of God that is wisdom. And, and notice that the word Lord is in all capital letters. So some of you may know that when, whenever you encounter the word Lord in all capital letters, that means that the Hebrew word being translated is Yahweh. And Yahweh is one of the names of God. And, and Yahweh is the God of his people. He is the God of Israel. He is the God who has a plan for the redemption of mankind. And so wisdom is tied up in this understanding of Yahweh and his plan for us. And this is why Paul says that we should not be foolish, but that uh, we should understand what is the will of God. The, the Bible says that fools despise wisdom. They're not interested in knowing Yahweh, and they're certainly not interested in whatever his plan is for their salvation. But as people who believe in Christ, we are extremely interested in knowing Yahweh. We're very interested in his plan for us. And why? Because Paul says the days are evil and the time is short. He says we have to make the best use of our time. And, and what is he saying there? I think if we look at Ephesians 2, 1 and 3, it'll show us something you were dead in the, trans in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our own flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind." So in the past tense, he's saying this is, this is who we were before we know Christ. But, but in the very present tense, he's saying this is what life is for those who do not yet know Christ. The Spirit is now at work in those people. They're being deceived. They are in horrible bondage uh, to their own passions and desires. And... And the thing that should really motivate us is that they are children of wrath. 
we should have a sense of urgency about the mission that Christ has given us to make disciples of all the nations. We should be urgently desiring that they see the freedom in Christ that we have experienced. So, so we hear Christians talk about their walk a lot, right? Christians say our walk should match our talk. Have you ever heard that? We say that. And, I, and that's a good thing. Our walk should match our talk because that sets a good example for, for others. But I think the problem with saying that is when we go to examine our walk, we then, we then focus on what the Bible says we should do or we shouldn't do. And are we doing those things and not doing those things? And I think that that kind of is distracting to us. I think we get too caught up in that. So, so pay attention here because this part is really important. Paul says when we examine our walk, we should uh, look carefully, that make sure we're being wise, right? And make sure that we understand what is God's will. We need to know Yahweh. We need to understand what is His plan. And we need to have a sense of urgency about Christ's mission. But the other thing we say is that we need to be filled with the Spirit. So let's look at being filled with the Spirit for a moment. Why do you think Paul contrasts getting drunk with being filled with the Spirit? When I first saw that, I thought that was a little bit of an unusual contrast. Remember, I told you that the words he uses, do not be drunk, are, are from Proverbs 23:31, And I believe this is kind of a little roadmap that Paul left for us. He, he's kind of saying, hey, go check out what the Older Testament says there. And, and if we go there in Proverbs, we find this cool poem. I love this poem so much. Solomon wrote it as advice to his sons on not being drunk, on people who abuse alcohol. Let, let me read this poem uh, to you. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Don't look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange thing and your heart will utter perverse things. And you'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. You see, Solomon wisely warned his sons against drunkenness. And Paul is pointing us to this warning. And why does he do that when he's talking about the Holy Spirit? Well, I think that when we get drunk, we're, we're looking to have an experience. Maybe we're just looking to have a good time, or, or maybe we're trying to forget the problems of this world, or maybe we just want to behave like somebody that we're not for a little while. There's reasons, but we're, we're trying to have an experience. But in the end, it bites like a serpent because it takes more and more alcohol 
to get us to that place where, where we have that sense of euphoria, where we can have that intense experience we're looking for. And the irony of it is that alcohol just deadens us in the end when we pursue it in an unhealthy way. It dulls our senses. Now, I want to be clear. Paul is not saying, and I'm not saying, that we can't have a drink. That is, that is okay. But he is clearly saying that we should not be drunk. We should not be seeking after this false experience. And so if getting drunk is foolishness, the wise alternative is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think it's at all unusual that Paul talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time he's talking about our Christian walk, our our being on mission. Because do you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Pentecost. Pentecost uh, was the day when the Holy Spirit came. Jesus had ascended into heaven, but before he ascended, he told his people, hey, stay here for a little while. Hang out here in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't go do anything yet. Wait for the Holy Spirit because he will help you. So we know that the Holy Spirit is needed for our Christian walk and to stay on the mission to make disciples and baptize them. So they had to wait. But for us, the wait is over, right? Because Pentecost happened a long, long time ago. The Spirit is already here with us. The Spirit uh, is with us. If you are a believer, the Spirit lives inside of you. He's a part of who you are now, and He's not going anywhere. So that kind of begs the question, right? If, if the Spirit's with us and He's always with us, then, then what does Paul mean when he says we need to be filled with the Spirit? Well, I, I think that to understand this, we have to take a journey kind of back to the Older Testament and, and see uh, this thing that, that happened with God's people. God's people, Israel, they had uh, been in slavery in Egypt And God did some really cool, amazing, big, miraculous, spectacular things. And they left Egypt, crossed through the Red Sea, and they're on their way to the promised land. But now they're kind of hanging out in the desert for a little while. And despite seeing all of this and experiencing God in ways that that many of us would, would only dream of experiencing... They've already kind of forgotten who's taking care of them because they're hungry now and they're in the desert where I assume nothing grows and they start to blame Moses who's leading them for starving. They're saying we're going to die here in the desert because we're starving and, and Moses says don't blame me, God is in charge and so Moses prays to God and says the people are hungry and God does a really amazing thing. So the way it worked was this, in the morning before the sun came up, the ground would be covered with a fine, white, powdery substance, and the people called it manna. And they would, they would have to get up before the sun came up, because as soon as the sun came up, it would melt. So they'd get up, and they'd gather up all this, this white stuff, and they would take it back to their kitchen, and they would bake this moist bread. And the bread would taste like honey. And it was delicious, I'm sure. And I'm thinking about it now because I'm cutting carbs. 
and the honey bread sounds fantastic. But I'm getting distracted from the mission, so let's move on. The cool thing about manna was they'd make this bread, and if they gathered more than they needed for one day, then very next morning it would be bad. It would be full of worms and gross, and they'd have to throw it out. And if they made an extra loaf, that loaf would go bad and be full of worms and have to be thrown out. So they could only gather enough for one day, except on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, which for them was Saturday, on Friday they would gather enough for two days, and on that one day of the week it would last an extra day. God did this for them for 40 years. For 40 years, God's people had to arise early in the morning and recognize their dependence on Him, gather what He had given them, and then they had to do it again and again for 40 years. So maybe if you're like me, you're thinking, that sounds so tedious. I, I would not want to have to do that every single day. But I don't think that God was trying to make it tedious for them. I don't think that God was trying to punish them for, for being ungrateful or anything like that. I think God knew they were forgetful, right? He had already done these things. He could have made this big loaf of bread, right, that sat in the camp and lasted for 40 years. And they could have just torn pieces off. He could have done that, but he didn't. And I think he didn't because he knew they'd forget where that loaf of bread came from. And so every morning, they were reminded, first thing in the morning, who their provider was. And I think that was important to God. But even more than that, I think God just loved them. And He wanted to spend time with them. And He wanted the first thing they did in the morning to be to connect with them. I think He wanted to be in communion with them. Maybe there's a connection between manna bread and the, and the bread that we use for communion. It's a way of connecting with God. And I think our relationship with the Holy Spirit is the same way. We, we have this big mission to go and make disciples of all the nations. And we know that by ourselves, we cannot fulfill that mission. We do not have in ourselves what we need. But the Holy Spirit has what we need. But he only gives us enough for just one day, sometimes just one moment. And we need to reconnect with him on a regular basis. And I, I don't think God is doing this to make our life tedious or uncomfortable or difficult. He's doing it because he knows that if he just empowered us all the time, that we would start to think we were doing something, that we would start to think this is our strength. We would forget who our provider is. And so he wants us to connect with him and recognize where that power comes from daily. And I think also he wants to connect with us because he wants to be in communion with us early in the morning. J. Vernon McGee said it like this. J. Vernon McGee was a, a well-known Presbyterian minister and uh, he says, to be filled with the Spirit is, I think, as simple as driving to a filling station and saying, fill it up. As I start out in the morning with the Lord, I say, Lord, I want to walk today in the Spirit. I cannot do it myself. I need your power. I need your help. We as believers need to start the day by asking for an infilling of the Holy Spirit. 
This is something which is desperately needed by believers. I have a very good friend. He tells me that every morning, as soon as he wakes up, before his feet hit the floor, he has to confess his need for the Holy Spirit. Before his feet hit the floor. Could you imagine for a moment what your life might be like if you started every day with the first thing you do, asking God to fill you with his spirit? If that was our daily practice. But what would that look like? That's a good question. What does a spirit-filled life look like? Well, recently I injured my back. And it, it was hurting for a while. And the biggest problem with that was my lawn suffered for it. I have a friend. Around here we say that we live together. No, we live as the family of God together. And so he came over to my house and he mowed my lawn for me. And that was tremendous help to me. You see, he's from Texas and that's how Texans are. You know, when you, when you meet a Texan, you don't ever have to ask them, where, where are you from, right? Because within the first minute of meeting them, they tell you that they're from Texas. They usually tell you a couple of times and you never forget that they're from Texas. You always know. But, but the reality is they, they probably wouldn't even have to tell you because there's just something about Texans. It's been my experience. They have big, genuine smiles and friendly hugs, and they love to help their neighbors. They have hearts that are as big as their state, right? Except those of us from Alaska know that it's really not that big, right? But... I'm just saying, it's big, it's big, it's all right. So, when we live a spirit-filled life, it ought, to be, it ought to be obvious. People should see something. They, they look at us and they say, there's something about them. Maybe they don't even know what it is, but they know that something is happening. Maybe they just think we're from Texas. But there's something different. Paul gives us four things that we should see when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. The first is we address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Address means speak or discuss, not sing. So it's not like Les Mis where we all sing to each other. We, we do sing though. We sing and make melody to the Lord with our heart. And we give thanks always and for everything to God the Father. And we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Spirit-filled people are worshipful. We're worshipful. We're so worshipful that it permeates our very speech. You know, Jesus quoted the Psalms, and I believe most of the, new writer, the writers of the Newer Testament, if not all of them, I believe they quoted the Psalms a lot. When we're filled with the Spirit, we just can't help but praise Him. And Paul knew that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for the equipping of his people because he wrote that somewhere. But here he, he takes the Psalms and he elevates them. He's saying the, the Psalms in particular permeate our speech. And I believe it's because they are particularly worshipful. You know, the entirety of the gospel is within the Psalms. You can tell someone... The, the story of redemption using the Psalms. So we know that they're wise. Uh, 
but they're also very, very worshipful. And he's creating this picture here of a community of people who like to discuss their adoration of God. And, and we do so especially using spirit-inspired poems and songs. But it's more than just talk because we also sing, right? Christians sing. When Christians get together, we sing. We sang earlier, and we're going to sing a little bit more later. And, and we do that. We come together because we want to worship. But uh, this isn't a concert, right? We, we don't come here to hear Phil on the piano or to hear Ben and Amanda's guitar. You know, we don't come here to hear Brant tap on that wooden box thing. <laughs> um, even though that's great and we enjoy it, that's not what we're here for. We're here to, to worship our Father, to worship our God. And, and believers, spirit-filled believers, we worship from our entire being, from our heart, it says. This isn't just uh, words that we're singing because it's a catchy tune. The Word tells us that when we're filled with His Spirit, we give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Always. We always give thanks. We're, he's not saying here that we are uh, exceptionally polite. He's not saying, oh, Christians, they always say please and thank you. No. He's saying always, as in constantly. We have an attitude of gratitude. It is a part of who we are. Uh, Spirit-filled people are even thankful for our difficulties. If we look at Romans 5.3, it says, We rejoice in our sufferings through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We give thanks always and for everything. But, but ultimately, this attitude of gratitude, this spirit of thankfulness that we have, well, it, it comes from wisdom. It comes from our understanding of Yahweh. God, the whole Trinity. You see, in wisdom we know, we know that there's no way that we ourselves can take our sinful selves and somehow reconcile us to a God who loves justice. There's no way that we can do this for ourselves. But, but we also know that Yahweh has a plan that God the Father has a plan, and His plan involves His Son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and, and lived the perfect life that we could not live and, and died on a cross and rose from the dead. He took our sins on Him, and He paid a price for us that we could never pay so that we could be reconciled with God. And, and, then, he, and then beyond that, as if that wasn't enough, he then gives us a mission. He lets us partner with Him. And even though we can't do that on our own, He sends us the Holy Spirit who helps us and empowers us to be a part of God's plan. And He says, not only that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transform you. I'm going to sanctify you little by little, day by day, every day becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That's why we're grateful, right? That's what that puts the spirit in us of gratitude. That's why when bad things happen, we say, I know God has a plan. I know that it's all going to work out for the good. 
Well, as Ryan would say, if I'm landing the plane, the last characteristic of spirit-filled people is that we live in submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, We live in an ordered community. There's order to how we are supposed to live. Around here, we call it living as the family of God together. It's, it's a structure. It's an order. In a family or in a community, there's always structure, right? Everyone is equal in the family. Everyone is equal in the community, but we all have differing roles. And some of those roles, God has placed people in authority. And in some of those roles, God has placed people to submit to that authority. That's his plan, and, it's, and it's, it's a good plan. But it's also messy. We can acknowledge that it's messy because, you know, people are involved. And when people are involved, it always gets messy. But spirit-filled people can still joyfully submit to it because we're wise. And we understand Yahweh and that he has a plan, even amidst all of the mess. Our motive for submission is reverence for Christ. So, here it is. We know Christ is king, right? Christ ascended, and he sits at the right hand of God. And he says that he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is our king. And he's the head of the church body. So, we, we respect... And we submit to those that he has put into authority, not because those people are worthy, but because the king is worthy. Reverence for Christ, our king. The the big idea this morning, guys, the big idea is that the Holy Spirit must fill us if we are to walk wisely in Christ. Look carefully then how you walk. Be filled with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul calls us to be wise, and and we know now that wisdom is knowing Yahweh, understanding His plan for our salvation, and we walk wisely when our life demonstrates this knowledge, right? But, But here's the kicker, guys. There's only one way to get that knowledge, and that is through the revealed will of God, which is His Word which is the Holy Bible. So my challenge to you this morning is make time for that. Get in the Word. Make it a priority. Get on Google and find yourself a a Bible reading plan, something that will take you through the Bible in one, two, or three years. And, And stick with that and stay with it. Read the Psalms, right? How can the Psalms permeate your speech if you, if you don't read them? And, and learn about Yahweh and His wonderful plan for us. Learn about Jesus and the mission that He's called us to, to make disciples of all the nations and baptize them. We're also called to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's already within us. Uh, But we must arise and ask him to fill us every day. And this doesn't take long, guys. This is a very simple and short prayer.
I challenge you for this week, maybe before your feet hit the floor, right? Maybe before your feet hit the floor in the morning, you say a prayer and, and, and you ask Christ to, or you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Just one week, try it every day. Here's an idea. Take a, take a post-it note and put it on the bathroom mirror, right? So when you get up, you see this post-it note, it could say, be filled with the Spirit. And, and that could be a reminder, oh, I'm going to do that first. You know, maybe, maybe a better idea, take that post-it note and put it on your cell phone, right? And so you can't check your notification bar, like cover the notification bar with it so that it says, be filled with the Spirit. And you do that before you start engaging with all the distractions of your day. The Holy Spirit must fill us if we're to walk wisely in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the mission that you have called us to. I thank you for the love that you show us through your provision. I thank you for your Holy Spirit and the the power that he brings to us. I thank you that you didn't just ascend into heaven and, and then look down at us and laugh while we scurry about trying to do what you've assigned to us, but that you've stayed with us, that you accompany us on our journey. You are with us until the end of the age. Lord, we love you. We pray that you'll bring conviction to our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.